if I go to the store, if I go to the mall, don't be brushing up against me when you walk. You walk <laughs> wide, baby. Don't rub shoulders Listen, with me. Listen, social distance done came real. <laughs> yeah, six feet. Before they get in your What's up, good people? I'm Renee Montgomery. Welcome into Montgomery and Company. Stay away from me though, okay? I'm gonna just say this right now. Keep your six feet because monkeypox is out here. We still aren't past COVID, but monkeypox is now trying to do a little something. I heard that there was cases here in Atlanta. It's spreading. Keep your distance. We're gonna talk about it. Also, the legend, the future Hall of Famer, CC Sabathia comes through. It's a MoCo Rewind, so you guys may know this, but we were formerly known as Remotely Renee, now Montgomery & Co. We're gonna rewind some episodes because you may not have heard them. Lastly, we gotta talk about some things in the small businesses. Killer Mike and 2 Chains pulled up to a city council meeting. We're gonna talk about it. I was today years old when I realized that I have a West Virginia complex. What do I mean by that? So what is a West Virginia complex? I just made that up, but it's what I have in a sense of when you come from West Virginia, you get humbled a lot. Like I was humbled throughout my basketball career. I was told that I was, you know, there's Batman and then there's Robin. I was a notorious Robin. I was never Batman. And then there wasn't a lot of publicity that happened in the city. So nationally I felt like we were on the map but I had that West Virginia complex because whenever I came back to West Virginia we were made to feel that we weren't necessarily a huge deal and so just by continually getting humbled over and over again now I realize that I have a complex because when people tell me something about myself it's like everybody tells me how humble I am and I'm like humble I am I'm like I feel like I'm regular but then I realize that it's probably the West Virginia complex because if people tell me something about myself maybe it's not as easy to believe leave it because we get humbled a lot. And so when I started to think about that, I was like, huh. So I'm a confident person. I think that people would consider me a pretty confident person and I still have a West Virginia complex. So I started to think about, okay, well, I think kids are starting to have a social media complex. And I think there's similarities. You know, I got humbled in the media. I got humbled by the broadcasters. You'd have to hear the games to know what I'm talking about, but I got humbled at every turn. And so maybe that's what's happening to kids in social media where they're getting trolled on social media or they're getting bullied or anything of that nature. Now they got a social media complex, which means that they now are have a high level of depression, you know, body dysmorphia. There's a lot of different things that kids are struggling with. And I think it, it could start young. So when I start to think about social media and different things of that nature, I love social media, but I can see why the founders of social media platforms don't have their own kids on there because they might already know something that I was today years old. I'm calling it the West Virginia complex for me, the social media complex for them. But either way, don't let other things control you. Don't have a complex about anything, but what you choose to have a complex about. Have a hot girl summer complex where every summer you turn up to your alter ego. I don't know, but I just realized I was today years old when I realized I have a West Virginia complex. So there's this older lady. She's really huge on TikTok. Her name is Miss Hala. And she is absolutely hilarious. So they were asking her, it was a clip of her saying, we're living in our last days, if we, as we've talked about before in this show. And Miss Hollis said, what do you mean? They asked her, like, what do you mean we're living the last day? She said, all this new stuff, COVID. She said, all this new type of crime. And then she said, monkey pox. What the F is that? So, <laughs> I mean, she is 96 years old. So she's been here for the last hundred, almost hundred years. And she's like, we are living in our last. She's like, I see she sees some stuff. I like that you brought that up, Cole, because I was going to bring up monkey pox in the whole topic. So I'm glad you brought that up because... There's a lot going on. First of all, Snook has told me since I was two years old that we're living in our last days. So anybody that goes to church, 
Anybody that has anybody that's went to church, my whole life, people have told me that I'm living in my last days. That's what people from church tell you. They start to look around. They start to look at the signs. Anytime anything happens, they say, I try to tell you we're in our last days. You need to get right with Jesus. So I'm not surprised that Miss Holla was telling folks at 96 (laughs) that we're living our last days. I bet you she was telling folks 20 years ago that same thing. But (laughs) to her point. I'm going to just read something that I saw about this monkeypox that she's talking about, because the thing that terrified me. So there's symptoms that appear within three weeks of exposure. You guys know those symptoms, rash, fever, headaches, muscle aches, sore throat, cough, swollen lymph nodes, chills, exhaustion. But this is the parts. First of all, these symptoms are usually followed by a rash one to four days later on your hands, mouth, chest, face, face. I'm just telling you guys this in case you can expect to see the signs. But the thing that scares me the most is how you can get the contact of it. So monkeypox lives on surfaces, and I think that's the most alarming thing to me. Contact with people that have rashes or bodily fluids, of course you can get it that way, but you can also get it from surfaces as far as towels, counters, surfaces that you touch. This is the scary thing about monkeypox to me. Because my sister-in-law, Kay Cruz, you guys know Hot Girl News with Kay Cruz, she made this statement. You know, I was out here a little bit towards the end of COVID and we're still in it. That's why I'm saying towards the end because we're still in it. But she said this monkeypox, she back inside. So what's going on? How are we feeling about like they already said, what was it? San Francisco has already made it a state of emergency. New York has already made it a state of emergency. What's going on? Are we really living in our last days? This is my thing. If I go to the store, if I go to the mall, don't be brushing up against me when you walk. You walk <laughs> wide, baby. Don't rub shoulders Listen, with me. Listen, social distance me. done came mm-hmm. real. Yeah, six feet. I'm telling you, six feet, yeah. stay six feet away from me. This is making me, I'm calling, as a matter of fact, I'm glad y'all reminded me. I am calling our doctor tomorrow <laughs> because what I'm hearing is, is that, yes, we have all these cases and this is happening. And this is, but the, the, no one's telling us, are the people who are vaccinated against something already protected oh. or is this something mm. that's just attacking that's people who are unvaccinated because here we go with the vaccine and the non-vaccine because the thing is is that I don't first of all I don't want you rubbing up against me with nothing anyway I don't Period. care what it is with COVID <laughs> non-COVID exactly. but the thing is is that I want to know like before everyone was susceptible to COVID and still susceptible to COVID but a more extreme a non-extreme case like is the monkeypox the same like are we vaccinated and we might not get the rash we might get the other symptoms and when you say vaccinated are you talking about the chicken pox like I'm talking about against anything there are a lot of people and a lot of children these days that are unvaccinated against anything so my question is is that if you have a vaccine? Is there a particular vaccine? I need to know exactly what we are talking about. Yeah, where about. Dr. Fauci at? Like, this is, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's Give like, because I remember more. when COVID, you know, was developing and we were looking for answers. They had Dr. Fauci out there giving a lot of different explanations to what's going on, what's not going on. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about the monkeypox, I was like, wait, what? Like, I was very confused that I thought that this was no longer a thing. You know, I was like, And then I felt like it wasn't in the U.S. And then all of a sudden I turned around and it's here in the U.S. And then I'm hearing that it can live on surfaces. So you're right. It's like I do see a lot of information going out, but I want somebody to pretty much give us a debriefing the same way they did about COVID where, hey, it can't live on surfaces. Because I remember the beginning of COVID, we was wearing gloves thinking this exact same thing. I feel like we need to go back to that for sure. (laughs) And listen, the thing is, is that we, we knew from the we knew from jump one that there was no vaccine for COVID. <laughs> we, right. we just kind of knew that was the CDC, the World Health Organization. They said, hey, y'all stop looking. You're not covered <laughs> from anything. If we you don't got, have it yet. We We're don't, working we don't on have it. anything. Right. So we kind of knew from the beginning. But CC monkeypox has been around before and like, mm-hmm, I right. guess, eradicated to some extent. It's like, do we already have some type of vaccine in our system that will somewhat protect us? Because I don't want to get sick at all, but I would rather not get to the rash. The rash is what's freaking yeah, me out. I'm terrified yeah. about that. I've had the flu. I've had the fever. I've Have had you had sore chicken throat. pox? I've had chicken pox. I don't want the monkey pox. I'm, I've I, already I been had through chicken a pox. pox. You never had chicken pox? No, I never had chicken pox. Oh, Ooh, wow. They vaccinate against chicken pox now. I had two no, vaccines no, yeah, against chicken pox. Oh, she's young enough to... Oh, so this is an age difference thing. Yes, it's an age difference. That's what I'm saying. I got the pox. 
I got the pox too, which is why I'm scared. The chicken pox. Don't let nobody. Don't be dubbing no, over and think pox, we had the yeah. monkey pox. No, no, no. no I had the chicken pox. We have a chicken pox vax. They, when I was young, they didn't have. Well, they didn't the have one. We didn't vax. either, Ma, because we got that's it. What we're that's saying, what I'm saying. We all got the chicken pox. Am I? Because I am unvaccinated against the chicken pox shot. Sam is vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated against the chicken with the chicken pox shot. I have not been. I got chicken pox. My question is: Is there any other vaccine that I see that will protect me? from monkeypox since I didn't get a chickenpox shot. I think I have heard of people <laughs> mention a, a vaccine. Serena says she thinks some people have mentioned a vaccine. That's a good point. So people that are a certain age and above, um, it might just be my age then because if I didn't get the vaccine for chickenpox and Serena did, that's a four four year difference. Okay, so, yeah. so this yeah. is according to the CDC. I just looked it up right now. It says two vaccines may be used for the prevention of monkeypox virus infection. So there is a a vaccine, apparently. Call your doctor. (laughs) Call your doctor. Listen, call your doctor. We just found out live right now that there are a couple of vaccines that you can do to help protect yourself against monkeypox. It might not matter to a group that's... How old are you, Serena? I am. People don't like to say their age. (laughs) Don't ask me. She's 30. So if you're okay, if you're around 30 and below, (laughs) if you're around 30 and below, you probably don't need it because you might have a chicken pox vaccination. But I still check with the doctor. Roy is so funny. He said oatmeal bag. I don't want that oatmeal bag. That's what I was like. I don't want that. I had it already (laughs) once when I was little. Mom had us in socks. We had socks in our hands, socks on our legs to keep us from scratching. I don't want it. That's why I said, I know I probably not. If if you got chicken pox, you probably are. I wonder what happens. Why you get monkeypox if it was around before and then it went away? What was somebody in there fooling with some monkeys or what? No, it was people <laughs> in other countries who are now probably they they don't have a, the vaccinations we have. And then you have us who that are now traveling it. all over the world. We're catching this stuff unvaccinated because now you have a bunch of people who aren't vaccinating their kids and not vaccinating themselves. And then they're coming back to home and and rubbing and hugging all their family members and spreading it around. That's what's mm. happening. So I, I think, think that's, that's exactly right. Right. You know, it's, it's so crazy. I was watching something. I think I was watching an episode of Law and Order or something like that. <laughs> and it was crazy because um, one of the one of the moms didn't have her kid vaccinated from something. I think it was measles. I, I don't know what it was. But and so that another kid got sick from it and actually had complications from it and actually ended up passing away. So, you know, sometimes like these, you know, this is fictitious and whatever, but they do take real life inspiration from things that Definitely. have happened. You know, and so I think that to your point, Cole, that is how it could spread because people from other countries might not have it. And then they come over here for the kids or people who haven't been vaccinated and spread it. It's a me generation, Serena. The younger generation is a me uh, generation, like with this vaccine and all of that. Mm -hmm. It used to not be anything out of the ordinary for like, you know, I remember when Renee was starting the school and her pediatrician had left. And so I didn't have a copy of her vaccination records. They told me it didn't make a difference. If I didn't have them, she wasn't starting school. She wasn't going to school. That's true. So now the me generation, oh, no, I don't want my kids to do this. And, you know, just like uh, the thing with people having different uh, allergies or reactions to things Mm -hmm. when it says, you know, they don't consider people with animals. And I love animals, but they'll take them into uh, public places where people have uh, dog allergies, cat allergies Mm -hmm. or whatever. And you try to say, well, no, no, no. Don't even get us started on that. And they'll get really mad with you, but and they know they're making people Listen, that's a whole other conversation. And let me just say this. Back in the day, to take your family on a European or overseas trip was a luxury of rich mm-hmm. people. And now that people take their children like it's you're going across another state, it's not yeah. the same. So you have, I think, also the travel amount of people traveling overseas out of country Definitely. has probably quadrupled. And, and 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 that means the amount of people who aren't vaccinated that went over are amount that's probably coming back. So that's also No, I also can definitely exposure. think that's true. You do see like the world is more connected than ever before with the internet and also to your point with traveling. But I do think that the internet has opened up the traveling. I think people are yes, seeing more things on the internet, yes. which makes them want to see more things in person or experience more things, experience more cultures because they saw it on the internet. But 
But I do think that traveling is something that has picked up because even back in the day with AAU, you know, like it was considered wild how much we traveled, you know, and yeah. we did family vacations all the I time. I think we become so lax because, you know, when you used to travel overseas and, you know, I was always scared that Renee was going to go to a country where all you have to have all of these different vaccinations before you can enter that country because we didn't get the vaccinations here in America. But to go to this country now, you have to have a whole series of shots or whatever. And you don't even hear about that anymore. You're just going over there without even protecting yourself. That's what I'm saying. Well, are Roy we, are just we wrote in the chat that? that you do have to do that to go to Africa. He said you have to take like some pills and shots to go to, go to Africa. So now our question is, is there a requirement for other countries to take shots before they come to this country? Are mm-hmm. we just letting That's everyone else question. in? Because mm. the question is, because if Africa, I know Renee, like mom said, there are countries they are like, oh, you can't come unless you have this, 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 and this. So, because those are things that are prevalent in those areas. Like I remember well, the you know ho- what? whooping I cough think that and all there that stuff. Is. Yeah. So are we requiring, or are we just letting people in the door? I think I think that um, I don't know exactly which ones, but I do know like some family members that have gotten their visa. Right. When they when they get approved to come to the U.S., they do have to get tested and like blood tests and they do have to get some vaccinations to come into the country. I don't know about how about what you know, but that's in the Dominican Republic. I don't know. You know, but that might just that might be like a U.S. thing. You're right. So I don't know which ones exactly it is. But for for them, I do know that they do have to. But wonder if it's not the ones we need. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't know which ones. Yeah, I was going to say, long story short, there's some things that we probably should start paying more attention to with the different outbreaks. This is like every time I hear about these things, like when COVID started and then even with monkeypox, with these different things happening, it sounds like every movie that you've ever seen, like literally the movie Outbreak, where they're like, if this gets out, it's going to spread like wildfire across all the countries. It's like, Everything that's happening in real life sounds like every movie we've ever watched where a contaminant gets out and now it's viral and it's to the touch of any service. I'm like, what movie are we living in right now? This is crazy. It's like too close to home at this point. Man. Like Miss Hollis said, monkeypox, what the F is that? Next, we have a little Moco Rewind, and we have World Series champion CeCe Sabathia coming back through. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. CC man, I watched if let me just start out by saying if you haven't watched CC's documentary, watch it. And I wanted to just talk to you about just the starting out. I didn't start out great at basketball, but when you started out, at what point did did you start to realize like, huh, this is something that maybe I want to do just not as a hobby? I think probably when I was like 13 or 14, I kind of figured out I was a little better than everybody else. I played all sports. I played football, I played soccer. I play basketball, but baseball was just the easiest sport for me. And I came from a city with a lot of great athletes. So when I was younger, I didn't really separate myself from the pack when we were in Little League and stuff. But when we got to about 13 or 14, I was playing with like 16, 17-year-olds, and I was going on the road doing different things around the country. So when I came back home, I remember my 14-year-old summer, I was like, I felt like I could, you know, make this profession. And I I started pursuing it that way, if that makes sense. A lot of people may not know about baseball, but people get stuck in the minor leagues for a very, very long time. You were only in there for two years. Can you just <laughs> can you just talk about like what that was like first even getting the opportunity to be in the minors? And what was that like when you were like, OK, now I'm like 
I'm getting to the stage. Yeah, you know what? Looking at back at the minor leagues, um, I was so young. I got drafted when I was 17, turned 18 that July. And it was like a college experience. Like, I didn't get to go to college, obviously. But yeah. the minor leagues was like my, my uh, growing up. Like, it was my time to mature and figure out. Like, when I left home, I couldn't even wash clothes. Like, I didn't, oh I, I didn't know how to take care of myself at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it was like a, a, a wake-up call big time getting out on the road and, like, being a professional and, you know, being at the park every day, being, like, caring for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and actually having a job. Baseball was a job. So, yeah, it was just, like, a, a learning experience, a time for me to grow up and be away from my mom and my wife, my girlfriend at the time, who was really, like, taking care of everything I did. So uh, it was just a time for me to grow up in the minor leagues. And, and like you said, a lot of people spend a lot of time in the minors. Wow. But um, I was blessed to be able to – kind of pick things up really quick, um, adjust to the game really fast. And I actually only pitched a year and a half in the minors because the first half of the of one year I was hurt. So it, it, I, I kind of learned pretty quick and got to the big leagues uh, faster than I think anybody expected. You say that about the laundry. It made me think of something. Your mom <laughs> wouldn't even, your mom wouldn't let you do anything like cut the grass, nothing. She was like, "Now nah, my baby is going to focus on baseball. Yeah. And so you were the 20th overall pick. Can you just talk about like what that feels like? And you also made me think of something else too, just for people to put it in perspective, you didn't go to college. You were only in the minors for a year and a half. So that's basically what a lot of the NBA players do when they're like one and done. So you mm -hmm. were essentially that one and done, drafted 20th. Now you're on the big stage. What is that like? Like shell shock, you know, being like the, the youngest guy. I was always the youngest guy. So when I got drafted, like I said, I was 17. So I go into an A-ball clubhouse, rookie ball clubhouse. I'm the youngest guy. Every team I come up, I'm going on, I'm 17, 18, 19, I'm the youngest guy. I get to the big leagues, I'm the youngest guy. It was always, just like I said, just learning experiences and just trying to get better and, you know, figure out what was going to be the best way for me to make this a career. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was so raw and, you know, didn't really have any skill or feel for the game that I was just trying to figure everything out and see if I could make it to the big leagues and stay in the big leagues, you know? Um it's one thing to get there, but I wanted to make sure that I stayed there and, and like, you know, had a full career. So, yeah, it was just me picking everybody's brain, whether it was, you know, I remember in double A, it was this guy, Frankie Sanders. I used to just follow him everywhere. Um, <laughs> when I got to the big leagues, it was Dave Berba and, and Ellis Burks. I would just follow wow. him and just try to learn and listen and, you know, figure out how to be a professional because everything was happening so fast. You said you were just trying to get there and stay there. You stayed there for a very long time. Is it called the Black Ace Club? I think mm -hmm. where it's, I mean, this is an elite club of people, black people too. As I just want to <laughs> say too, that there's not a lot of black men in baseball. What is it like carrying that torch of being one of the few? It was tough at times, <laughs> um, especially being a pitcher, because, yeah. you know, it was always like, you know, guys like Ken Griffey or, you know, Mudcat Grant, he was the, the founder of the Black Aces. They would always say, like, you are very rare. You're a black pitcher. Like, we don't have starting pitchers. There's not a lot of us. So you got to make the most out of this career. So it was always like that pressure of, first of all, winning 20 games to become a black ace and then really just trying to establish excellence. So, you know, kids behind me could watch. You know, I grew up watching Dave Stewart. Um, my dad was a big Vita Blue fan. They both pitched for the A's. And I just wanted to be that guy, like for, for one kid that was out there watching, you know, my hat to the side, big baggy pants. And I'm from the hood. Like, you <laughs> yeah, don't see baseball players like me. You know what that I'm saying? Was lit. I yeah. want to make sure that I stay true to myself and show these kids that, yeah, you can make it to the big leagues and be yourself. You don't have to change. In your career, there was a point where you played for Cleveland. Cleveland's a city that, you know, LeBron went there and raised the city up. And you kind of did the same thing in, in that Cleveland space. Can you just talk about being a big player in a small market? Because it's not not a lot of people understand that dynamic of being in a small market and you're a superstar. Yeah, it was perfect for me. You know, being so young and then yeah. being labeled a superstar, being in Cleveland was perfect because had I been in New York or Atlanta or L.A., um, it wasn't oh on God. social media then, but I'll probably oh been in God. trouble. <laughs> Atlanta, definitely. <laughs> so I love Cleveland. It was, you know, it was our second home. Uh, three of my four kids were born there. Um, we owned a house there for eight years. It was a beautiful place. We really, really, I really uh, feel blessed to have that place to be able to grow up there and become a professional and to be able to bring, you know, everything that I learned in Cleveland to New York. Because 
had I been that young superstar in New York, I don't think it would have worked out the same. Listen, you brought up New York and you got to wear the famous pinstripes. And I mean, everybody knows what that means. It's almost like I want to equate it to like, if you're a UConn Husky, you know what that means. That means that you're a certain level of excellence. And New York was that. So now you've grown up, you've, you became a pro, you filled it out and you're in New York. Talk to me about that. Loved it. It it was the perfect (laughs) landing spot. Um, You know, having a chance to, you know, in 2007, I won the Cy Young Cleveland, got traded in 2008, had a great playoff run with Milwaukee. And then now I'm ready to to step into being, you know, to try to go on a championship run. No better place to come to New York. You got Derek G. Right. Robbie Cano. You got Alex Rodriguez. You got Teixeira. Like it made everything so much easier. When I got here, everything just came easy. I could go out, do my small little part on the mound and everybody else is going to do their part. And we ended up being a really, really good team, really good franchise. So coming here, it just made everything easier. And, you know, going there, you talked about it. You didn't just go there. You went there, you won, you know, and and the owners, they weren't shy about talking about how aggressively they went after you. You (laughs) said it yourself, the Cy Young Award winner. So they went after you aggressively. They threw you the bag. They talked about it. They didn't care, but you delivered. I saw the picture. So I've been a part of a couple parades. I saw the picture of y'all's parade. <laughs> what? what is it like? Because, you know, New Yorkers, they're just die hard and they're about their team. And so when y'all won, what was it like standing on that? Like, what was it like being there? It was almost like a dream. I still like when I think back to it, it's like a dream when I see like the videos and stuff. And yeah, the only thing I can remember is just like looking up and like as high as you can <laughs> see, it was people everywhere. Paper coming out of the buildings. It was just, it was an incredible celebration. It was just so much fun to be a part of it in this city. I mean, you don't know what it is to win as a Yankee until you actually do it in, in, in New York. It's a special thing. And, and, you know, Yankee history is the history of baseball. And to be able to be a part of that and have my family a part of that uh, is amazing. So you talked about your family a little bit, and I'm going to get into a little bit about the documentary Under the Grapefruit Tree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you struggle. So we're talking about all this success. And it's crazy because even the people that were sitting beside you in the locker had no idea what you were going through and you were battling alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But I want to even go back a little bit further, because this is like, I think, a fear that a lot of people have that every time something good happens, you almost looking over your shoulder, waiting for the bad news to drop. You say that that was basically your life for a certain point. You would win an award or you'd have you'd go to all star and then bad news would happen. How did you stay up? A big part of it was just being able to do what I love to do. So I had baseball. So everything that was going on off the field, when I got those three hours on the field, I could just black out, beast out and be myself, you know. So it was just was just trying to find something that you love to do that can keep you occupied and, and can keep you up. But like you said, the the good and the bad, that's been my whole life. Like in the doc, you see a little part of it. I mean, I could go back to, you know, I mean, I, I, can, I can even go back to as far as, you know, the ninth grade. I got named the starting quarterback as a freshman in the ninth grade. That day, my cousin gets killed. Like he was robbing a gas station, gets killed. Like I can go back to 98. I was a senior in high school. My, I was raised by my grandmother. My mom was like my big sister. She passes away February 1st, 1998. I almost quit baseball. This is the year I get drafted. This is my senior year. I mean, I got so much going on. And the person that literally raised me passes away. And I was like, I I mean, I literally quit for two weeks. I was like, I'm done. It was the middle of basketball season. I was like, I I can't do it. And my mom was, was there to talk me up, keep me positive and, you know, make sure that I kept living out that dream for her because her dream was for me to make it to the big leagues and, you know, fulfill my career and all of those things. So, uh, I had to just keep going on for her. And 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 like I said, I mean, there's so many different examples. You know, it just is what it is. And, and you know, you got to deal with the pain to get to the light. And it just makes you a stronger person. You know, I'm fortunate for the people that I have in my family, my wife, my four kids, my mom. So you just got to be blessed that you have those people still around and, and cherish and love those people. You mentioned your wife. And watching the documentary, she's exactly what people talk about having a strong woman behind you. Anything that I go through, I know that my wife goes through as well. So anything that athletes go through, our families basically go through it Mm -hmm. with us. Your wife was going through the highs and the lows with you. And I mean, y'all are still together. She stayed with you through all of that. You even said, oh, in the documentary, how stopping for someone else is different than when you want to stop for yourself. Yeah. Can you just elaborate on all of that? I think I put her through hell. Obviously, I think the lows for me were probably even lower for her. 
But, you know, we're talking about somebody that was literally shooting with me in the gym. Like, she, when the, the year she graduated high school. He wasn't with me shooting in the gym. He actually was. <laughs> she, the year she graduated high school, she flew out the day after and came to the minor leagues with me. You know what I mean? Wow. So, like, yeah. we've literally been together in this career together for 20-something years. You know what I mean? I so, yeah. um, she's she been through the ups and downs, and she never liked me drinking. I drank a lot in high school. And... Every time, like, I would be around her drinking in high school, she hated it. I didn't know. I mean, I'm young, you know, so yeah, I felt like well, everybody was. She hated Yeah, because at a young like, age. She, she didn't like who I turned into. Um, and ah, she could okay. see it before anybody else could. You know, I would turn into a different person when I was drinking, and, and she could see that. And nobody else really saw it at the time. Not till I got to, like, in my mid-20s did people realize, like, damn, he might have a problem. Um, but she saw it in our teens and was always on me about it. So, like I said in the doc, and like you just said, I didn't even want to really want to stop drinking until 2015. Like I did all these different things and yeah. you know, all these, made all these different promises and ruined holidays and all different type of things and mm -hmm. still didn't think I had a problem. You know, not until I got into that altercation in Toronto, I'm on the balcony smoking weed in Atlanta, yeah. and then my kids are getting older and I just felt like it was a time for me to make a change. And I want to be around for my family and for my kids and you know, having my dad pass away so early that's always in my mind that I want to be around as long as I can for my kids, for my grandkids. And, you know, that's, that was something I thought about. And, and, you know, stopping drinking was, was the number one thing, you know, to keep me healthy and keep me around here. You said at a certain point, the doctors told you your heart could just stop working. If you kept on the path, you kept on. Now me being an athlete, I still can't even fathom what you did. You went to rehab on the cusp of playoffs. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, like that, for me as an athlete, it's like, that is a different level of strength. Can you just talk about that moment? Like where you knew like the playoffs are right here, but I, I have to do something else. Like that's a crazy dynamic. I mean, for it to come to a head right at the biggest point of the season. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if, if I would have been there, if it would have made a difference, you know, um, but I knew going forward to be there for my teammates, I needed to do this right now. So you guys can either have me right now at 75% and not my head all the way in, or you can get me next year and the years after that at 100% back to what I'm capable of doing. They felt that. My teammates understood it. To the Yankees' credit, you know, the Steinbrenner family, Brian Cashman, everybody top to bottom had my back supporting wow. me, even down to the fact where the trainer would, uh, Stevie Donahue, would offer to go to AA meetings with him. You know what I mean? So, like, That's having amazing. that support from the best franchise in baseball made me feel like I made the right decision. So, coming out of rehab a month later, I felt great. And I felt like my teammates had my back, and I was ready to move on with my career. It's a beautiful story. You get to come back, and you get to have the proper type of send-off. You know, you come back, you still play, but then there's a point where you realize, okay, you actually, I think your shoulder got hurt, mm -hmm. and you realize that, you know what, this is the only way I was going to leave the, the mound anyway. Can you just talk about that send-off? Uh, you talked about it wasn't, it didn't even feel like it was for you, but, I mean, it was really cool. They had you on the I mean, it was a really cool, I want everybody to go see the documentary. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you're, you're what they call like one of those perennial superstars. Like you were a rock star. And so your send off was the proper send off that you send someone that has done all the things you've done for the sport. It was like watching somebody else's. I said, and I say that in the doc <laughs> because I watched Aira and I watched Mo and I watched Jeter and I never felt like I was on their level. You know what I mean? So yeah. to be able to have the Yankees honor me. You were, by the to, way. You were. <laughs> to give me, you know, that day and to have my family out there and, you know, they read a letter and, my, you know, my mom got to catch the first pitch. Like, it was a dream. And, and I don't think, you know, I never thought about, you know, having that send off when I come here to New York. I was just trying to survive the media and survive <laughs> oh, being yeah. a Yankee. You know what I mean? So New York able, media. Oh, my yeah, God. <laughs> so to be able to have that type of uh, love from the fans yeah. and from the city, uh, from the organization was, it's a dream. It's a dream come true. What is retired life like? How are you enjoying it? Oh, you're going to be way more busy now because people <laughs> yeah. understand you got way more time. So everybody's going to be pulling and tugging, but <laughs> I really enjoy it. I, I love it. Playing baseball for 19 years and missing so much with my family. Like I'm looking forward to a summer vacation. You know, I haven't had a summer off since 1997. So like having a summer and to be able to travel and watching my son, my son's playing now, you know, it's exciting. So, but you still stay active with the current players and so why do you feel it's important to do that like just to stay involved in the game you know what i watch kobe 
Like I watched Kobe in his retirement and the effect that he had on so many different players. And I was like, man, I want to be that. Like I've been through so many ups and downs with so many experiences, good and bad, that I know I can help these kids. And, and I just want to be a friend. You know, I don't want to be a super mentor or be all in yeah. it, but I just want to be like, if I, if you need help, I'm here, bro. Because I've literally been through everything you about to go through. So, so yeah. I, I try to stay in contact with, with, That's with all dope. these guys and, and build relationships with all these guys so that if they need help at any time, they can hit me up. I love that. And so there's there's a group that you're a part of called the Players Alliance mm -hmm. and the MLB and the MLBPA. They committed ten million dollars to that. So what is what is the Players Alliance and like what are you guys doing? So the Players Alliance is the is the this the actually the whole group of black players in baseball. Um, we came together after George Floyd was murdered and we made a video wow. and then we, you know, we stayed connected through, through text and everything and thought, you know, what can we do next? Like, we just didn't want to be, you know, go viral and have something on the Internet. We want to really make a change in our game. And it's tough in baseball. I mean, I, I don't know if you know the numbers, but I think we make up like five or six percent of the league. Wow. Um, so to have all of us together is huge. We started a nonprofit. So Players Alliance is a nonprofit. Um, our first big event was pull up neighbor where we stopped at 33 cities um, from the Bronx all the way. I think we yeah. ended in Vegas because California had the COVID restrictions, but we were able to, to impact the communities. We, we passed out COVID um, uh, PPE, PPE stuff. Yeah, yeah, we passed out PPE stuff. We passed out food and baseball equipment. Um, and we plan on, you know, doing more things to, to change our game top to bottom and get more, more minorities at the owner level, all the way down to, you know, player level, all the way down to, you know, guys that work, you know, in the clubhouse and stuff. Are you interested in being at the owner level at a certain point? Like, do you ever want to be in some type of management role considering you know what it's like on the other side? I don't want a job, though. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want, you, I don't want like, a job. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to do nothing where I got to be there every day and accountable. Like, like, I'm a special assistant to the GM right now, and it's a perfect job. Oh, because okay. I can go when I want. I can hang out. Like, I can text the guys. If I need to go down to the stadium, I can go down to the stadium. If I will go down to spring training, I can go down to spring training. But to have an official role, like, in yeah. the front office, I may need to wait till my kids are grown. You know what I mean? Like, I think my no, wife would like kill that. me if I go back to work in the summer right now. And as she should, because, you know, <laughs> like our families basically have to give us up for however long we're playing sports. Because, I mean, when you're dedicated to the sports, you're on the road, you're traveling, you're working out. So mm -hmm. I get it. But you, I mean, you talk about you don't want to have a job, but you kind of have a job. When kind of, to, though. Like <laughs> went to your podcast. I'm talking about your podcast. Oh, too, yeah. So it's not doesn't feel like a job, but, you know, it can provide it can be considered a job. But you and Ryan Rucco have a podcast. Is it called R2C2? I believe. R2C2, yeah. Yeah. And you guys, though, have been doing it since 2017. So you guys mm. were like ahead of the curve. Did you see the podcast game like exploding to what it is now? Oh, yeah, I did. Especially because wow. um, after watching Road Tripping um, and those guys doing that, yeah. I was like, this is going to be huge because. You know, you get players at a certain point in their career. And when we started, it was 2017. So I didn't really care about what I said. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, and, and I still You're don't. Unfiltered. I'm unfiltered, super unfiltered. Yeah. And I've always been like that. And now people are just getting a chance to see that out of me. So you get guys at a certain point in their career. It's fun to be able to listen to J.J. Reddick and, you yeah. know, whoever else, all these different podcasts, Draymond Green. Like, we want to hear their opinion. So I knew absolutely that the podcast game was going to take off after LeBron and, and Richard Jefferson and all those dudes did road tripping. So I hit up Ryan. I was like, I want to do a podcast, but I want to make it fun. Like, I don't want to bash people. Like, we not those type of guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We like to have fun. And me and Ryan actually have a lot in common. It's crazy. Like, oh, wait, but so how did you just hit him up, though? I'm you already knew him. Like, what yeah. is that backstory? So he worked uh, for the Yes Network. Um, when I first got to New York in 2009, he did the stats in the booth for the Yes Network. So he would always come down. At that time, I was a Laker fan. So we would always talk about Lakers basketball okay. um, and different, different basketball. And then he just kind of kept growing, kept getting bigger, getting bigger. He was doing uh, NBA games. He was doing stuff. our games. I know him from doing, doing our WBA yeah. games, NCAA women games. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I know him from the other side. So when I saw that, I'm like, how in the world is CC and Ryan? Yeah. It's like, funny because we're completely works. opposite, but it, we have yeah. a lot in common. So it makes it a lot of fun. You want to be there for your, your kids who you have a son who's actually really good at baseball. You want to be there for them. What is that like now being the, the dad at the games that can go to every game? Like, what is that like? You're still connected to the game, but it's a little different. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's nerve wracking though. Like watching his <laughs> games. Now yes. I understand what my mom was going through. I got a 13 year old. Yes. It's, it's scary because you're so you want them to do so well. I just assume that he's gonna do well, I guess. I just don't <laughs> want it to be his fault if they lose. You know what I'm saying? Like you just don't want them to feel that pain of like a loss or if it's actually their fault, you know? Yeah. So uh he plays basketball too, but yeah, I mean, it's fun being able to be that dad. Like basketball games, I go crazy though. Like I'm yeah. a huge, I'm a, I'm a huge basketball fan. So you know, I'm yelling at the refs, and I'm that yeah. crazy. Dad. Oh, you're that dad. You're crazy that dad, dad out there. Yes, you're that dad. That everybody hears in the gym. I'm the crazy dad, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'd like you to know that I'm the crazy mom. So I say that without shame because it's just like, that's my baby. Like, I, like, I'm the crazy mom. But have you had a chance to look back at your career and see what you have accomplished? Yeah, I have now, actually, because of the doc. And, you know, after yeah. watching the doc, I went back and, like, watched a couple of games and different things. And it's weird to me. It just seems like, like, I, I still think, like, did all of that You're happen? a superstar! Yeah, it's like- so weird, though. Like, it's so weird that all of that happened. Like, that ended up with 3,000 strikeouts and the same amount of wins as Bob Gibson. Like, I'm Carson Sabathia from Vallejo, California, from the crest. Like, Talk that. supposed to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's such a surreal thing to be able to, to be able to look back and, and say, I played 19 years in the big leagues. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, and uh, you didn't just play, CC. Like, I'm like one of these people. I like to let people know. You didn't just play. Like, you shifted a culture. A black man unapologetically standing on the mound, representing these major teams. Even your stint in Milwaukee was, like, it was unbelievable what you did. And then you went on to be a Yankee. Looking at your career, like, do you understand what it did for baseball? You know, you're, like, Hall of Famer. You know, like that. I like, hope so. <laughs> no, I'm speaking at you. I'm like, they crazy if they not. We're gonna we're gonna stage a protest if you're not. But like, what it like? What is it like to be that much to a sport that's been here so long? A sport that's predominantly not black, you know? Like, yeah. and then you made your mark. What is that like? That's why I said it's just so surreal. Like, it's it's not. It, I, like, I I really do. Like, sometimes I have to sit back and think. Like, did all of that really happen? Like, did I? <laughs> like, I mean, am I dreaming? Because it just started so humbly and you know what I'm saying from like, you know, growing up in my grandmother's backyard with my dad and like yeah. a big family. And, you know, I was the baby of the family, like always picked yeah. on. Like, it's just a, it's just a weird thing to be able to, I don't know, maybe hopefully one day go into the hall of fame and, and like you said, yes. have an impact on the sport and, and keep teaching these young kids. And, you know, hopefully one day my son gets to further his career. It's just, be, it's, it's, be really so been a, it's really been a blessing to, to, to be a baseball player and to be a part of MLB and, and play for some great organizations. One thing that I recently just did was I had lots of shoes, okay? I had lots of Kobe's, <laughs> and I saw a picture that you had a lot of shoes throughout your career. Do you even know how many, like, how many shoes do you own? Like, what, do you even oh, have a guess? Man. Like, is there even, can we if even I guess that? If I had to guess, yeah. if I had to guess, it would probably be over, I bet you I got over 3,500 pairs of shoes. But you got to think, you got to think I've been on Jordan since 2007. So yeah. that's six weeks. That's every six weeks, boxes of shoes. You know what I'm saying? For the last 12, 13 years. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, mean, I get it. I, I get outside with Nike for like six years. So it's like they, you know, they just they just coming. constantly send you stuff. Yeah. And I'm not giving away my stuff. Like I, I'm a hoarder <laughs> in that sense. Like I worked hard for these. I didn't get Jordans until I was in 11th grade. So these is like, I still get excited to get Jordans. Like when those boxes come, I'm still yeah. like a little kid. So I'm not giving away none of my shit ever. Listen, I <laughs> I just put the boxes down there in the storage. So I when I say I feel you, I feel you. Man. And so question about that. Like, do you still get the new ones? Like, are you still with Jordan? They still like send you some goodies? Yeah, yeah. so I got a chance to sign after my career. Um, which is a blessing um, because normally that doesn't happen. So yeah, yeah, I signed a career. I signed a little uh, contract after my career to keep the foundation going and, you know, uh, money coming to the foundation and I still get my shit. All I want is shoes. I don't care about no money. Just Just don't leave. Just don't. I need my boxes every six weeks. That's all I want. That is so lit. So your contract with your foundation is they'll, they'll provide like, 
what, what backpacks. Is that so we do. So like? we do. Uh, we do a backpack giveaway uh, for school, and they'll provide the backpacks. Uh, we do baseball camps all over the country, and they'll provide like the t-shirts and the shorts and stuff for that. So uh, yeah, I wanted to keep that stuff going. They know I have to pitch in foundation. They know the work that we do. Yeah. So I was able to keep my you know my Jordan contract going through uh, through the foundation, which is great. And I, I can get to keep getting my shoes. Yeah, you keep getting your <laughs> shoes, and that's lit. Though one last thing that I have to ask: What was your like most expensive purchase? Like when you've started to get real money, and you're like, look, I got it like that now. What was some of the things that you was oh, like? All right, man. now that I got money. I'm gonna get this. So many different things. All right. So the first, the very first thing <laughs> I bought, like a dummy, I, I signed a contract <laughs> in spring training after my first year, and uh -huh. we were in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. I drove straight to Tampa to the Benz dealership and bought an S600, <laughs> which is so <laughs> dumb. I'm like 20 years old. I ain't turned turn 21 yet. You ain't got 20, the Benzo. And I went got the 600, and I was like, this <laughs> put the spring wells on it and everything. So. That was one of my first dumb purchases. Um, oh. Jewelry. I bought yeah. so much, so much, so much jewelry. I had this big, like, chain. It was this big. It was a 52. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I don't even know where that thing is today. I, I was just going to say, it. do you, like, do, are you even? I don't even know where it is. I think I left that thing at a Warriors game one night. Like, I was, oh, like, no. drinking, and it was oh in the suite, gosh. and I left it. It's, I mean, the chain was huge. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that the two of the biggest bad purchases I had was a 600 in that chain. Oh my God. That's, it's on par. I asked, I asked a lot of athletes that a lot of them said the Roly. a lot of them yeah. got, it was at that oh, time. Oh man. So listen, yeah. I'm going to tell you this. My very first, the, the day I made the team, my, my, my very first spring training, I made the team out of spring training. Uh -huh. um, and my dad was there and it was, and, and I, I came out to tell him I made the team and I bought a Rolex. I bought a presidential. And oh. it was like all iced out diamonds. He was so mad. It was clean. It, it was, was clean, so clean. But I thought he was going to be excited. He was like, what are you doing? Like, you don't even have money for that. I'm like, what you mean? I just made a team. Like, That's a good dad. That's a good dad. Because my parents did the same. I had got them a Mercedes car. Like, I had been years in the league. I got a Mercedes SUV. And I'm thinking it's going to be so hype. And I'm so excited. And they're like, what are you doing? Now? You know you play in the WNBA. Like, they, they had to let me. Bring me back to life, like <laughs> the WNBA, baby. You better calm down. But no, I, I mean, there's no better feeling than giving your parents those gifts because you know they're the reason we're there. And CC, listen, I thank you so much for hopping on here. No problem. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. up next we're going to talk all about the city council meeting that two chains and killer mike attended when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply So two chains and Killer Mike pulled up to a city council meeting because the way politics are moving, we're all tapped in. We all know what's going on and we all got something to say about it. Here's what Killer Mike had to say. Hey, how y'all doing? All right, I'm Tahid Els, but my professional name is Two Chains. I actually own a couple of businesses in the city, Escobar and uh, Escobar Seafood. Um, I'm very blessed, and I also like to be a, a blessing to others, and that's what my businesses have, have allowed me to do. I brought up a, a real dear friend for me, Michael Render. I would like to yield it to him so he can really talk about the bigger picture here. 
I'd like to start. How y'all doing? Um, I'd like to start by saying I was here May 10th, and it doesn't seem like we've gotten much done. May 10th, I talked about the importance of small and local businesses. As Atlanta grows, corporations are going to be coming into here. So somebody's going to have a nightlife in a convention city. It's going to be the owners of Hard Rock or the owners of Hooters or the owners of a W Hotel, or it's going to be the little people that went to Frederick Douglass and Maids and Southwestern Cab and schools like that. The question starts to become, are we going to keep Atlanta a place where local people can grow and thrive here. We've honored three people today from Adamsville who grew local businesses or were influenced by that. To this ordinance will wipe out the opportunity to do that. We will not be electing council people from here. We will not be growing businesses from here because it will all be turned over to corporations. I insist that this be sent back to committee. We will not wait two weeks to simply let a vote come again that will vote us out quietly in the night. This is one of the only cities where entertainers and athletes have gone on to form a business class. When you go to New York, the clubs ain't owned by people who look like you. When you go to Los Angeles, the clubs ain't owned by people who look like you. When you go to Miami, you might get turned away by people who look like you that don't feel like you deserve to be in the club. I'm saying to Atlanta right now, I'm saying to every city council person, when you come around and you need donations, when you come around and you need votes, you come to us singers and dancers and club owners and we oblige you. And for those that don't, the people you ally with are us. The people that you need to in the last second to get you are us. So do the right thing and send this back to committee. I've worked with many of you all before. I'd love to work with you in the future, but more so, I'd love to see the people that run our nightlife working with you. Time has expired. Thank you. Two chains introduced Killer Mike at the city council because they feel that small businesses, we know this, everybody's seen it. We've seen it across the nation. We see empty buildings. We see small businesses just closing down because it's hard and it's harder and harder. So Killer Mike had a lot to say about, you know, he he brought up some very strong points. He said, look, the first people you go to when you need a vote or you need support is the entertainers, is the dancers, is the athletes. Mm-hmm. And he says, and here we are right now asking you guys, we want to continue to be able to be a part of the city. We want small businesses to still thrive in the city. I felt like he was preaching. It was crazy. I was yeah. like, he's going in right now. And he didn't say one lie, not one lie detected. When Killer Mike was saying what he was saying, and these people have worked with him, they should be ashamed of themselves, actually. Really and honestly, I think he was literally saying cancer culture is real. And and mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do because, <laughs> you know, everybody has to be voted in. And he's I've worked with you people. So basically he's built relationships and probably because they come to him yeah. for favors. Can you talk to this community? We're trying to do this in their community. We're going to do this for their community. So he's they probably come to him because, as you can see, he's a very eloquent and strong and powerful speaker. Mm-hmm. His point is very well presented and you knew exactly what he was saying and why he was saying it and he had good points and he had facts to back it up so basically you can kind of infer that they've come to him because he is the most closest to the community and, and can speak to them but the thing is i think he was saying cancer culture is real don't wait two weeks when in the middle of the night and running here and try to vote this in because you still could have problems afterwards. I feel like it was more so a political threat and a political cancel on that as well, saying, you know better because you come to me every time. Right. No, that part stood out to me too because he's like, look, we work together. I'm y'all's friends, but I ain't afraid to tell you the truth and what's up. I like that because he's he's sticking up for the people. So he's like, look, I'm not afraid to go head to head with the people even that I've done business with because this is about what's right for the city and for the, and the small businesses, which he is a small business owner himself. Absolutely. I actually loved what he's saying. I've been saying it all along. You know, back in the day, we paid more attention to the people that we voted for about what what issues we had presented to them or our needs. You know, you look in your church service and there they sit and they don't even know, you know, who you are, who Jesus is or anybody <laughs> else because, you know, they empower now. So you really got to pay attention to that and hold them to the fire back in the day. And I've told Renee and them this along so a lot of times when you see companies that are just really just put it in your face. They don't care about you. They don't care about your green dollar. You need to boycott. 
You need to let them know, hurt them. That's, if that's the only thing they understand, you need to hurt them in the place that they understand because what comes out of their mouth is okay, but what they do with their hands and what they do with their behaviors, that's what you look at. And so that's how you should conduct yourself. And he was absolutely right. Going straight up to the city council meeting, like Killer Mike and 2 Chains, they both could have tweeted it. They have millions of followers. They have millions of people that they could have done that exact same thing from their own platform saw had a lot of people get eyes on it the same way but i love that they pulled up to the city council meeting and like he said he's built those relationships so he's looking at the people dead in their face like he's looking around the room like yes i'm talking to you yes i'm talking to you you gonna vote on this too don't do it in two weeks from now like I love that he went up there and like basically held everybody accountable right there in their face because it's one thing, like he said, don't don't try to push it off for two weeks when we're not here and then just like do it under the rug. He said, no, I'm looking at all of y'all. And to Snook's point, look, accountability now is, is about to be a real thing. People are keeping receipts. Basically, he's like, look, when these votes come out, when things happen, and if you want to vote against it, okay, but don't think you're going to vote against something like this that is detrimental to the whole foundation of small business in Atlanta and think you're going to come back around here and think we're going to be hype and, and support after that. So I love it. I think that there's I power in the vote. I do too. Fire them up. That's what I say. Fire them up. I, I love, love it. Be Fire the one up. where they come to you after they've done this foolishness. <laughs> and then they come back to you and say, hey, I know, you know, that vote went bad, but I really, we really need y'all Come around. Because that's what really happens. That's what really see back in the day, people were afraid to lose one voter. They were afraid to lose uh -huh. one voter because they knew one voter could turn an entire household, an entire street, entire community. Yeah. So they were afraid to lose one voter because they just didn't know what the power that one voter yeah. could do. So that one every voter was important. And so he's basically saying, Y'all go ahead and do this <laughs> if you want to. Because the thing is, is that re-election happens. I love that he's making that threat because you know you won't come back this way. And the community won't hear you because <laughs> they're gonna go through me. If I say, oh, man, they on that, you know, they, the community will be like, oh, no, Killer Mike ain't on it. I ain't on it. So, you know, that's how it is. But to the point of all these people showing up, we figured it out in good ways and bad ways. Dave Chappelle pulled up. We, we're seeing record numbers of celebrities, athletes pulling up to these meetings where they think no one's going to show that they think the community doesn't care. And we see these big name people pulling up to it and they're like, oh, I didn't know they were coming. Oh, that's, ooh, wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is bad. So, pull up. Yeah. Pull up. Pull up <laughs> on them. Yeah. I mean, because that's where the real change yeah. is made. I mean, to Renee's point, I mean, look look at who who you endorse is, is a very big deal. Everybody knows that. I mean, look what happened with Warnock and the WNBA. You know, where, where, where your votes go, it matters. Because like Snook said, you could influence a whole community. You could, you know, but they know that that's where the real change happens is, is going in in the communities. And he, he's all about activating, like actually like being there IRL, not just on social media and using your voices. You know, he actually went to activist school. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, he's been, he's been trained. Yeah, this is where the change happens. You got to start with your council meetings and things like that. That's what it people... It starts at home yeah, and spreads exactly. abroad. Just like love starts at home and spreads abroad. You have to start at home and then let it spread. What's going on nationally is okay. We got to pay attention. But the most effective and the most interactive things you can do happen in your own community. Mm -hmm. Renee, I'm shocked. What? I didn't hear the song from Hamilton. Be in the room where it happens. I mean, that's your... Hey, in the room where it happens. We got to be in the room where it happens. You know what? You're right. I'm a big Hamilton fan. You guys, you know, I'm a singer. I, I like music in general, but Hamilton, I think I know every song and every word of every song. But Hamilton says a lot of things about what's going on, you know, even back then to the now. But something that Killer Mike said that we all just need to take with us and stick with us is plot plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. There's a reason that he said those things in those order because it matters. You can't do it by yourself. I'm sure they planned to go to that meeting. They didn't just put it on social media. There was a plan there. There's a strategy now too, because he said, I'm going to watch who votes. I'm going to see who votes and we're going to keep receipts. There's mobilization. Look, I saw the video. Now I'm on board with Killer Mike. We have mobilized with Killer Mike right now. We are talking about it. We're saying we're looking too. 
You know, like we're we're here, we're looking too. And then the, the, like, that's all it is to it. Like, it's just that simple where we can all mobilize together. I'm mobilizing right now with Killer Mike. We got to keep small businesses alive. Like that's just on period. You know, where you come from matters and where you live matters, because when you think about where you come from, I think about my West Virginia and my humble beginnings. I feel like I'm going to be humble forever because that's where I came from. And then when you think about Killer Mike and how hard he's going for the city of Atlanta and the small business owners, you know, some people may be from Atlanta, but some people may live here. Where you come from matters, where you live matters, because that makes you a part of that community. That makes you a part of a certain larger group. There's a certain amount of pride that comes along with that. So when you start talking corporate and you start talking things that maybe aren't a part of that community, I love seeing the community stand up for each other. So again, as Killer Mike talked about, we're going to plan, we're going to plot, we're going to strategize, and we're going to mobilize. We'll see y'all next week. Montgomery & Co. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.